Welcome to season two of the Connect FCS Ed podcast. Each episode is geared towards recruiting, supporting, and retaining past, current, and future professional family and consumer sciences educators. I am your host, Barbara Scully, and I want to boldly celebrate families and careers with you. Hi, and welcome back to the Connect FCS Ed season two. A lot of exciting stuff happening this year. This brand new school year going into, gosh, 21-22 school year. Hard to believe. As always, I'm so incredibly grateful that you are listening, but more so for a brand new listener, welcome. If you've been following along in this journey, thank you. Your support is greatly appreciated. Please, if you're listening, subscribe to this professional development series of podcast interviews for family consumer sciences having your support means everything to me and keeps this valuable program alive for all of us so today i have an amazing brand new family consumer sciences educator her name is chelsea Fareas, and i just got the confirmation that she is going to be my brand new colleague so it's so exciting to have her join me on the podcast but also that she is going to be a brand new teacher and she's going to be sharing her experiences coming from covid as a student teacher and also the fact that she's going to be now be working at the school that she got all of her training her in what she graduated high school from? Yeah. A lot of great things happening. So excited to introduce Chelsea to you. So welcome, Chelsea. Hello. Uh, first, thank you for allowing me to be a part of this cool podcast. I mean, it's definitely a good tool for all new family consumer science teachers and just teachers in general. So thank you. As you said, yes, I just graduated from Central Washington University. I am a new teacher. This will be my first year. I did my student teaching at Tijuana, which was an awesome thing. I mean, it was mostly primarily online because of COVID and everything. So it was a little challenging, but fun. Everyone says that it was their hardest year of teaching. So I started off that way. So it can only get easier from here. I'm hoping for it. And yeah, I just got hired at Tijuana and I cannot wait to go back and serve the community where I was served. I know Chihuahua is primarily Latino students, so I am just super excited to go back and serve the students that, you know, that come from the same upbringing for me, that are the same culture, come from the same neighborhood as me. So I'm excited for that, and I'm super passionate about um, multicultural education, so I can't wait to kind of implement that into the curriculum that's coming this year. That is fantastic to hear. I would love to hear because I'm white. I'm proud <laughs> of my my cultural heritage and everything. But I would love to know what does it mean to be Latina, Latino, Hispanic as an educator in serving our community in that capacity? Yeah, so honestly, it's kind of so it's something that's really big for me. And it's big for me because I write, I'm a Martinez Fellow and I had to apply to be a Martinez Fellow. And what that means is, um, so the Martinez Fellowship really focuses on recruiting, recruiting um, students that want to be teachers. And they are teachers that are BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, people of color, the Asian community, because most of the time we do see that teachers are 
primarily white and women as well. So there's a lack of male teachers. There's a lack of Latino teachers, black teachers, Asian teachers, you know, so it means a lot just because when you do have that one student that is, let's say they are the only Chinese student in the classroom and their teacher is Chinese, you know, they're able to make that connection a little more of a deeper connection with the content and with the teacher and feel more like they're welcome. A lot of the time the curriculum doesn't resonate as well with students that you know are of different backgrounds just because it's not their history or it's not you know it doesn't align with them or they don't know what a certain thing is in the curriculum because they are not native English speakers or you know there's a lot of disconnect with our student and me being a Latina teacher um, it's just another way that I could relate with the students. I'm a Chihuahua graduate so that's already one one connection that I'm having with the students. I'm Latina, 85, I think it's like 73%, 75% of the population of Chihuahua are Latino students. So that's another connection. Um, I came from the East side, you know, that's another connection. So it's just kind of, you know, counting the connections that you make with the, with the students and being able to be more relatable. And especially with family consumer science, I'd be teaching foods and nutrition. How can we um, incorporate our culture to what we're cooking in the classroom, you know, just different ways like that. I think it means a lot just because there's more ways that I understand the students struggle and I'm able to empathize with them. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just a different dynamic that you're able to, to have with the students when you come from similar backgrounds from them. Well, I thank you for sharing all of that because food is, it's cultural. There's one thing that food has in common with all cultures it brings people together so and that's something i i know as soon as i moved over here to the the tri-cities community i i immersed myself with trying to understand where students lived where uh, their backgrounds where they're coming from because yeah i know i'm a complete outsider and that's something i recognize and i also with being that outsider because when you're able to say hey I'm not from your community but I want to know I'm you want to learn you're willing yes I'm so willing my door is always open in that capacity the students are eager to share they yes. love sharing so my my first year at Chiwana with my foods and nutrition one students we did a cultural heritage project and it was different in a way where because I've had students who at my, in the Kent school district where I came from I had students who are uh, who who came from Iraq uh, Afghanistan Turkey I I had a huge Muslim um, a Muslim and Shiite and um, Oh, so many different ethnicity groups. And I loved that diversity. And that is the reason, that's where this cultural heritage project derived from. So students had to kind of make a book and they talked about, you know, their, a little bit about their family history. What is, what is one, two favorite memories that they have in their childhood? What is your favorite tradition? And if a student doesn't, if, what if they, I had a student who doesn't celebrate, which mm. I've had that, then say, okay, that's completely fine. But if you could celebrate something or when you become an adult and you're setting forth your own traditions in your own family, your own dynamics, what is it that you're hoping to incorporate? 
And so I had a lot of those. And then talking about food, what is your favorite food that either you have prepared yourself or that a family member prepares um, for some sort of you know, a holiday or maybe not a holiday, just some overall food. And then you have to share that recipe and you need to bring that recipe in for everybody else to share. So we had, you know, it was, it was during uh, Christmas time and this in our foods lab and oh my gosh, students were just over the moon, excited sharing and trying other people's you know, food that they've created at home. So that, and that's just, that's just something that I have that I deem with so much pride over Yeah, because I'm trying somebody else's culture. I'm listening to their culture because as always, we're eager to share our stories. Mm -hmm. And see with being a multicultural educator, I think that's a big part. Um, You can say that you're a diverse teacher just because, you know, you have different students in your class. I mean, that is diversity in itself, right? Because there is different students in your class, but celebrating it, that's a different thing. And um, as you have done, you implemented this project that students were able to share a little bit more about their culture and you were open to receiving that and learning more about their backgrounds. Where do they come from? What's their favorite um, meal? And, you know, that's a big thing. I think um, really putting a spotlight on it and celebrating it and inviting it into your classroom. So I, I love that. Yeah, and I even had some, I had a couple of parents that even came in just to see what was taking place. And so that was just, that was really exciting. And, you know, it was also kind of a, a testament of going how, how deep and how far this project actually went, because it was implemented in the classroom, but it was executed at home where students were then having to actually talk to their family or friends about this. And, and, be, and then all of a sudden it coming back to the classroom, I guess, don't be afraid to kind of push the envelope a little bit when it comes to sending a project like that home. Yeah. And some parents love to get in on it too. You know, they love to put in their two cents or, you know, with a recipe, they're like, no, you're doing it wrong. Do it this way. Or, you know, so that also engages the family. So that's an awesome, an mm-hmm. awesome project to implement in the classroom. <laughs> yeah, I know just with, you know, conversing with uh, my foods and nutrition one students, I, I ask them about measurements. That's, you're going to be doing that as well. But you have a leg up than, than I do in this because when, when talking with my, my students who said, I'm already laughing because I know what you're going to say. They, uh, they, I'm like, oh, so do you have uh, measuring spoons at home, measuring cups? And most of my, you know, my students who are the Latino descent, they're like, no, everything is by eye. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, I actually understand that because I do a lot of measurements by eye as well when it comes to certain recipes that are tried and true. It's like, I know that, but, and how, and oh gosh, I've had students even share like, oh, they, their, their abuela is making things with their hands and and mixing things with their hands. I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's a different, it's definitely a different culture. And it's funny. There's this saying in Spanish, it's called tanteale which just means just feel it, just feel it out, you know, just take a feel for it, you know, and the same thing, like when you're making tortillas, there's like no, no exact recipe, you literally need to just feel it, and it just feels right, I'm like, 
how do I know what feels right? <laughs> it, it's a it's a funny thing. So in the in foods, it's gonna be interesting when I teach it for my first time. I can't wait. Oh, good. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. Yeah. So you're going to be, I know you're going to be teaching foods and nutrition one and you're going to be sharing classrooms. So are you excited about that? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm a very organized person, but I know the way that Chiwana's layouts are and all of that. For the most part, I've seen, you know, I student taught at um, Chiwana. So I know kind of how everybody lives. Um, so it won't be too bad. Yeah. I hope. I hope that it won't be too bad. You know, I'm super organized. And for the most part, everybody else is organized too. So I'm excited. Good. Well, I, I know just myself and our team, we're excited to have you come on. So that is yeah. in, in itself. So with doing student teaching, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we've all it was a challenge for all of us, but we've all persevered and like, it's, it's only going to get better from here. What are some things that you learned throughout this experience? So during student teaching, you know, like I said, it was a challenge, but honestly, it was a good challenge because we were able to see that, Hey, we can actually do this. Like, why haven't we not been doing this before? So for example, um, there were some students, like, let's say, for example, like if a student has an IEP or a 504 plan, we, so what I was doing is I was recording my lesson, uploading my lesson, and then during actual Zoom time, which was class time, I did the lesson again. So I was doing the lesson about why I did a practice run, then I would record myself, then I would actually physically teach it. And we had like two classes of food, so I would have to teach it the same lesson four times. Right. But it really helped the students. The students really appreciated the fact that I would record it because if they didn't write down notes during class or something, they were able to just go look back at the recording and, oh, that's what Miss Farias told me to do. That's what she said. That's the steps of what I need to do. And I would also sometimes do demonstrations, which was a separate video. And students really enjoyed that. And that really helped the students that had IEPs and 504 plans because, you know, it was already tough being online. But doing like catering the curriculum to be specific populations of students it was very beneficial for them and I thought to myself why haven't we done this already before for the students you know even before we were online like we can still do this even though we're in person for so when they go home and they get on teams they're like oh well my teacher said this in person but I don't really remember exactly how to do it oh well I could go watch the video and then you know I get clarification so that was one of the good things that I learned that there are so many ways to cater to the students that you know, need a little bit more help in writing things down physically and, you know, literally step-by-step typing out the steps of what they need to do and going in detail and really reiterating what you said. So that was something that was a good thing that I learned that I didn't realize that I wasn't really catering to these students before, you know, shamefully I wasn't, you know, and uh, through COVID I was like, hey, I need to be better at that. I need to, you know, even if I feel like I'm repeating myself a million times, that is okay because that one, that millionth time is when it clicked to the student. And so I got that student and that student had that aha moment, you know? So that was one of the really good things that, that I got out of COVID that there's so many ways that you can teach the exact same thing, you know, and just make it more accessible and understanding to everyone. Well, in your scaffolding. Uh, yeah. Huge. That that is a key word in across 
all educational languages. Yes. Scaffolding. We're, we're providing those various rungs up the ladder for a student to, to engage and to fully understand. Mm-hmm. And that's something, yeah, I think you and I, we share that same experience when it comes to being able to record uh, and, and being able to access those students who maybe weren't so engaged, but yeah. being able to provide those instructional videos, I think that goes a long ways. And yeah, I'm along the same lines as you going, why wasn't I doing this before? Yes. I actually remember, and I had this conversation with my brother when, when I first got into the classroom, my own classroom, and I remember telling him, going, I want to record myself giving a lesson or, or something along that line and being able to upload it to YouTube so that students can access it, but yes. the world could see it. But at that time, just five years ago, we did not have that kind of cap- that technology capability. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So it's just amazing the advancements of technology that we now have our fingertips. Yes. Do you have, do you have any questions that in in you that you wish that I would have asked? Yeah, I was. I, well, I wanted to ask you like just advice for a first year teacher, you know, especially family consumer science. I know we're a little different than other classes. Generally, family consumer science are just more fun topics and interests. Um, So what is some advice for a first year family consumer science teacher? Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's probably my biggest thing because I personally, in the last five years, I don't think I've ever become, never gotten comfortable in my position. Yeah. Constantly being asked to grow in areas that I never thought I would be able to grow. I never thought I would grow into. So just be, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You're going to be stretched beyond what you ever thought. You You're scaring me. Stop scaring me. No, but it's, <laughs> no, it's. It's a good it's like thing for you to grow, right? Yeah, you know, be be open to growth, and and if you're open to growth, you're going to exceed beyond measure. So, yeah, uh, and that's the exciting thing, and that's yeah, don't don't get comfortable. Yes, <laughs> yes, take that. Um, yeah. And then I was going to ask you, what was your favorite part of last year? Um, I know everybody had a different, you know, different ups and downs of last year because, you know, COVID. So what was your favorite part? My favorite part was honestly learning the the various technology pieces. For me, it was really understanding our capabilities that I had using our district uh, technology, but also outside of our district technology. So being able to explore, implement, and collaborate that I've been able to collaborate with people, you know, across the nation, but became closer with my colleagues within that collaboration. Well, yeah, I know that you did, you played a big part in like the students needing to go out and come back in and going to the restroom and coming back and like 
all of the technology with that. So that was really big. I mean, that literally changed the dynamic of the entire school. So yeah, that in what you're talking about right there, that is that digital hall pass and that yeah. the QR codes. So I, yeah, I implemented that in that's classroom management, but I also see that as a, that's an employment skill. You know, we're CTE. What are we doing? We are trying to prepare our students for the career and uh, possibly post-education. So being able to say, you know, you don't have to ask me if you want to go to the restroom. Don't. I don't, I don't want to know. I trust you enough to be where you're going to go back you're going to do your business and then you're going to come in back in respectfully and hone in on the task at hand. Yeah. So, and so I see that that's personal management skill. I see that as a human resource skill and being a good citizen. Just be trustworthy. And that's something that I'm trying to convey because a lot of teachers are like, no, you have to ask. I can say yes or no to go to use the restroom. Well, I'm not like that. I, yeah. I, you need to listen to your own body. I, for me, it's like, geez, in the morning, for whatever reason, yeah, after having two cups of coffee, it's like, I have to go to the bathroom every every class period. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's during the class period. And and luckily, you know, it's the, the restroom, staff restroom is only two doors down from me. But yes, like, I, I'm sorry, nature calls, you got to go. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, because when I was substituting, I was out in the portables one day, or it was for like three days. And I was like, I cannot leave these students alone. Like, will I get in trouble if I leave them alone or what? And so then I asked the students, I was like, hey, when you guys go to the bathroom, like, where do you guys go? They're like, oh, we have to go all the way inside to dealing. And I'm like, does your teacher usually leave you guys alone? Like, is that okay? They're like, oh yeah, she leaves us alone all the time. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I left, came back. They were all quiet doing their work. And I was like, so I didn't even trust them. I wasn't put in trusting them or I just didn't know what to do, you know? And so... Yeah, definitely putting that trust in your students that they know what to do. They're responsible adults. I mean, they're high schoolers. They, you know, Mm -hmm. they know what's expected of them. And I jokingly told them, I was like, please don't burn down the building. And they just laughed. And then um, when I came back, one of the students is like, hey, I didn't burn down the building. And so I just laughed at, I just laughed. And, you know, we just went about our day. And so, yeah, definitely interesting your students and to know that they know what they need to do. They know what needs to be expected of them. Absolutely. And when students know that you trust them, it goes, it goes so far. It goes yeah. so far. I yeah. love that. I'm definitely going to be implementing that in my classroom. Like, don't ask me if you need to go. If you need to go, go. But I trust mm-hmm. you enough to not run away or go, like, start a fight in the hallway while you're gone, you know? Well, and I, I tell you, I did have to put, you know, the smackdown on a couple of students who they they abuse their privileges. That is a privilege, being able to come and go like that. And she was, I had a couple of students who were going to go see a boyfriend, or they were going upstairs and down the hallway to use the restroom. And like, hmm, you've been gone a long time. And oh, by the way, so when you scan the QR code to leave and you're putting in your information, it tracks how long you've been gone. And when you come back in and you scan it and logging back in, I see who's abusing things. And I had to, do, I had to sidestep some students like that and, sh- and so that they see my data and they're yeah. like, oh yeah. And because of that, <laughs> I'm sorry. So for this next week, you're not going to be, a, I, 
I have to put the snack down and you're not allowed to, you're going to have to use the restroom before coming into class uh, during our six minute hallway <laughs> uh, passing period. But so please use your time wisely. And in one student, I ended up having to say, I'm sorry, you've abused it so much that the rest of the trimester, you're, you're done. Yeah. Go before, go to the ba- go to the bathroom before you come into class. And, but that's the good thing too. Like you didn't let one person ruin it for the rest of the students. You know, it was yeah. just that one student. And so I've had instances in classrooms too, where it's like one student abused it. So now we're all screwed basically. Like now we all have to deal with the consequences. And so definitely like taking nuggets. Like I have learned to take nuggets from every single teacher of things that they do that I really like and implementing it into my class and seeing like, okay, this is my teaching style, or um, maybe this grading style I like and the other grading skill I don't really like, you know, just mm-hmm. literally borrowing or taking stuff from teachers and implementing it. Well, and that's just the thing. We're always learning a new tip or trick from another teacher. Yeah. Adapting it as our own. So don't reinvent the wheel for just for that pride. Learn and adapt and grow from that. I want, so we're going to start wrapping up and there are three questions I'm going to ask. Okay. And just anything that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. So this one has to do with tip. What is one productivity tool or software that you use every day to help you? So I actually physically write stuff down. Like I have to put it on a paper and be able to cross it out because then I'm like, okay, it's done. Um, I know some people could put it on their calendars. I know some people could like just do like mental note. I cannot. Like I need to physically have it written down or I will forget it. So definitely writing it down. Pen and pencil. That's all you need. So it's question two. So this is a gratitude. Who has been your most important professional mentor? Uh, this is a hard one because then if I choose one, one one's going to get sad and then the other one won't be sad. But since this one's fresh, definitely Shanda, Shanda really, I know she's your coworker. Um, she helped me literally throughout the entire journey of uh, student teaching. And I took so many good nuggets from her and she was, she was a mentor that was like, Hey, I do it this way, but if you don't like it, change it, feel free to change it. And I've had a lot of other student teacher friends that were like, no, I had to do it exactly how my mentor teacher told me and Shanda was like, no, hey, here are the tools. You could use them if you want. If you don't want them, then cool, don't use them, but do as you want with them. And then also, I, I'm just going to do a little honorary mention, Dr. Susana Flores. She was my uh, professor at Central and she literally, she's amazing. I just love her. And she really built me up to the educator that I'm going to be, you know, so she's awesome. Who encouraged you to say yes to FCS? Okay, so definitely Shanda. I mean, <laughs> definitely Shanda. I She was my teacher in high school, and then she was my mentor teacher, and now she's going to be my coworker. And, you know, I took her class. So, and I also took, like, back back then, there was an old teacher. Her name was Miss Diblin, and she taught sewing. And so I took her class, and then I took Shanda's class, and I wanted to be a fashion designer. And they cheered me on. They wanted me to do it, and I, I wanted to go to FITM. But then I I sat down and I was realistic with myself and I was like, hey, it's really hard to excel in that if I want to come back home to the Tri-Cities. And so I sat down and I had a real moment with myself and I was like, hey, why don't I combine the two things that I love and become a teacher that teaches fashion? And then I saw how much Shanda loved her job. And I'm like, that's that's what I'm meant to do. Like, that's what I want to be in. As a kid, I wanted to be a teacher. Then it switched to a fashion designer. And now it's a teacher that teaches fashion. 
and other cool things as well. So it all it all worked out. <laughs> oh, okay, last question. Cool. Do you have a favorite author? Favorite author. Okay, so I suck because I start to read things and then I don't finish them. But recently I've been reading this book. So it's called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica Sanchez. And it is like such a great book. I think it really dives into like the Mexican, the journey of being not your perfect Mexican daughter. And I feel like that really resonates with me. And reading this will definitely build me up to break, take the information from here and resonate it with my students. Um, because I know I'm going to have a lot of students that resonate with this book, but I'm literally like two chapters in and I suck because I'll read like a few pages and then forget about the book. And then I'm like, hey, why haven't I finished reading my book? So then I restart it again. And I'm like, get it together, Chelsea. But <laughs> if there's any students reading or listening to this, reading is important. Um, but yeah, I listen to more podcasts. I love podcasts. So that's more of my thing. So I well, just you can just imagine what it's about, right? Oh, I, I can. So it's breaking down stereotypes right there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh. And and all the expectations, all the expectations of being a daughter of immigrants and, you know, just definitely changing it, changing it up and just like her journey of what she's been through. But yeah. So, OK, this down a rabbit hole. What does it mean to be a Mexican daughter for you? For you, what is your personal journey with having being able to resonate with that the title of that book? Yeah, so a lot of the times in the Mexican culture, it's like the daughter is always having to be catering. I know that if you get married, then you have to be the one that caters to your husband, always feeding your husband, being the quiet, quiet, just very submissive kind of woman. And, you know, I'm not that. I'm not that. I can get my education. I can I can have a boyfriend if I want. I don't need a boyfriend, you know? Just really breaking those stereotypes like, hey, I went to college. I just got my bachelor's degree. I can get my master's degree. I could get my doctorate degree. I don't have to be this quiet person. I can be fiery. I can be loud. I can speak up for myself. So definitely, I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter because I'm not quiet. I'm not submissive. I'm not, you know, all those things that I'm expected to be. So that's, that's kind of like breaking those stereotypes and that's what this book does. And it really resonates with a lot of, you know, young Mexican students, especially like Latinas, especially in high school, because even then that that's not really advised, I guess it would be, especially if you're like traditional Mexican, just because you got to stay home, help take care of uh, your brothers and sisters or, you know, and a lot of the time that is the situation with high school students i know that there's a bunch of students that ended up staying online because they do have to help take care of their of their siblings or they have to go out like with i know that this this title could be switched over to i'm not your perfect mexican son um because they're expected to provide and help the family and the, like reading these kinds of books i think books definitely help us to see different sides of students and what they go through so yeah, that was a long-winded answer, but no, definitely. I, I, I love and appreciate that. Yes. Well, Chelsea, thank you. It's been a joy having you and you know, just sharing your experiences and the best is yet to come. Yes. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be on this podcast and sharing my experience. I swear I could talk to you forever. I'm appreciative and thank you for having me here and 
I look forward to working with you. I know. I'm excited. (laughs) Well, thank you. And we will chat soon. And in the meantime, you like the podcast, please subscribe. Your support means everything to me, but also to the entire profession of home economics and family consumer sciences. Thank you for listening. Barbara Scully from the Connect FCS Ed podcast presents a fresh take on recruitment and support for today's modern home economics educators in the family and consumer sciences, FCS Classroom, sharing insightful stories, strategies, and resources in a fun and sustainable and practical way. Each episode focuses on a different aspect of modern home economics. From community engagement, leadership, classroom management, to lessons and more, Each episode brings a different perspective, offering expert professional development, interviews from a collaborative worldwide FCS community, with the hope that it will inspire and empower you to make informed decisions. Together, we are better at leading the way to student success with FCS.